You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Hello and welcome to episode 109 of The Best in the World with Richard Parr. Every week I speak to a world champion, an Olympic champion, a world record holder or a world number one to find out what they do differently from the rest of us to be the very best. And we learn a range of topics from their successes to their failures. We learn about their nutrition, their training, We talk about their coaches, their mentors, and just their journey through sport and life. A lot of the guests I speak to have retired from their sports and are now taking up something completely different. And my guest this week is also retired from sport, but what a career she had. I speak to Susan Francia, who is a two-time Olympic champion, five-time world champion in rowing. Those two Olympic golds coming in the 2008 and 2012 games where she was part of the women's eight, part of the American team, which went through the line first. And Susan is brilliant on this podcast. Clearly a really fun individual. She talks about her start in the sport when she picked it up in college, where she was studying criminology, no less. We also talk about how she is able to get sponsors. She also reveals which NBA star she inspired to win a gold medal at those Beijing games. Plus, as a coach now, she talks about what she knows now as a coach that she wishes she knew as a competitor and also explains to us what she's looking for when she's identifying talent. That's all on this week's Best in the World with Richard Parr. Before we get to that interview, I want to tell you about Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding website. That's where you can help support our show so we can keep learning from world and Olympic champions every single week. If you'd like to support us, please head to patreon.com forward slash best in the world. All right, let's get to it. Let's get to my interview with the rowing Olympic champion, Susan Francia. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Susan Francia, welcome to the best in the world with Richard Parr, a two-time Olympic champion, a five-time world champion. I was looking at your your Wikipedia page earlier, and it seemed like between 2006 and 2012, you won absolutely everything. Did you feel invincible then, Susan? 
you know what? Yes, yes and no. You know, um, Wikipedia does not show all of the injuries and all of the downs, you know, that athletes have, but um, but also it kind of does show the triumphs. So I'm glad that it, it conveys such a positive positive uh results for me thank you (laughs) (laughs) well we'll we'll bring a bit more life to that wikipedia page with this interview i'm sure so what was your your favorite victory out of all of them you know honestly the uh the 2008 beijing games were just you know phenomenal uh and and racing in that race it was my first olympics and everything's like shiny and new and exciting and you know just everything it was just you know leading up to that 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 journey was really um was very special so winning in in 2008 was probably my favorite victory Mm. and obviously olympic champions are known to inspire others and very usually a, a younger generation but I heard you tell a story recently that you actually inspired someone pretty famous with that victory. <laughs> yes, actually. Um, so the night after, or the day after we won, I was hanging out in the Olympic Village, and uh, I ended up meeting Dwight Howard, uh, one of the NBA stars. Mm-hmm. And I told him I was so excited. I was like, hey, check this out. Here's my gold medal. And he was like, oh, that's so cool. And he actually did a huge Olympic faux pas. He actually put the medal on, which if you haven't finished completing your event, you just like don't do. And he's wearing it. And literally like out of the darkness, I swear this was like the most surreal moment. Kobe Bryant walks up. And he's just like, hey, man, where'd you get that? And he's like, oh, it's hers. And he's oh, like, wow. oh, who are you? I know, it's crazy. And he's like, Kobe's like, who are you? And I was like, hi, I'm Susan. <laughs> and he's like, hi, I'm Kobe. And I was like, I know. <laughs> We're just having this, like, you know, this, for me, it was a great moment in my mind. I'm, I'm sure it was a great moment in his mind, too. Um, but it was just like so cool to have these two NBA stars like looking at my gold medal. So that was that was definitely a very special moment for me. Mm, I never knew that was a faux pas. I never knew you couldn't do that. Yeah, I mean, it's just like kind of weird because, you know, what if you don't end up winning gold? Mm. So, Are there any other kind of superstitions like that which are kind of known which you you kind of are wary of um you know I would say that's kind of like the biggest one and especially like if if someone is an Olympian they don't really like put on someone else's medal because Mm. you just kind of you you know you won yours and they won theirs so it's just kind of you know but of course when there are little you know fans or especially kids and they want to put on the medal. I'm like, here you go, put it around your neck. Like this could be you, you know? So that's, that's fun. It is, it is very fun sharing the medal with, with others. That's probably brings me the greatest joy with that thing. Mm, Fantastic. Sharing all of your, your hard work and success. Uh, Let's, uh, uh, let's start from the beginning then, Susan. So, uh, What's interesting about rowers compared to a few other sports is it's... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Very much a sport where you, you start later on, isn't it? You didn't start until university, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So how, how did that all come about? Yeah, actually, so in high school, I played basketball. I tried volleyball. I tried all these different tall person sports <laughs> since I am six feet, two inches. And I have to tell you, I have uh, two left feet <laughs> and no hand-eye coordination. <laughs> so I kind of came to accept that I was just like a tall kind of klutzy person. Um, but I did love sports and I liked being involved and I just was like, okay, you know what? I'm not very good, but I like being part of the team. So I never imagined that I would, you know, of course go to the Olympics, let alone win. Um, and I found it in college. I actually, um, there was a coach there who was like recruiting people who were just tall. And I said to him, you know, I wasn't very good at basketball. He's like, that's great. It's even better, you know. Like, <laughs> I was like, okay, so I believe you. And um, actually the cool thing is the novice coach who recruited me for rowing, once I started rowing and he was like, wow, you know, this, this is good. Um, he was like, you could go to the Olympics. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, I fully believe. And he was like, you know what? you go to Olympics, I want to be there and watch when they put that gold medal around your neck. And I was like, okay, like deal. And so actually when I made the team in 2008, he was the first person that I called and I said, Scott, come on down. Like we're going to Beijing. I want you to come watch me race. So it was really, really special. Oh, that's lovely. That's really, really great that he was there to witness that. Um, you mentioned basketball there, and I was looking on your website, and and you described yourself as a uncoordinated basketballer. As you mentioned, there two left feet. Um, looking back now, do you think there are lessons that you've learned as a rower which would have been able to make you a better basketballer and played at at a relatively high level? You know, that's actually a really interesting question. I've never been asked that, and I'm going to say. Probably not. So even though, yes, like my drive got much better in my work ethic, I swear, I don't know what it is about basketball and volleyball. I am still so really not good. I live <laughs> on San Diego. Okay, San Diego is like 
the beach volleyball capital, right? Mm. And people always see me and they're like, yeah, I want her on my team. And they start seeing me play and it's like, oh no, <laughs> we want her on our team. So uh, no, it still hasn't made any difference, unfortunately. And again, we were talking earlier about the fact that, you know, you started later in Rhone. And let's just compare it to, say, swimming, for example. Swimmers, they start from 9, 10, and then they get scholarships. And they're effectively recruited for to the university for their swimming and then kind of do the studies additionally. Mm-hmm. While you went to university to study you went to do um was it criminology you studied yes yeah so you went there to do criminology and you're you're trying to do rowing as well how easy or difficult was it for you to to balance the both of them actually um that balance and the structure really helped my my academics Mm -hmm. um even just like having to show up to practice and and that was part of my motivation of even joining the team, to be honest, um, because beforehand, like, I just had all this free time. So I wasn't part of a team. I was kind of scattered. And then joining the rowing team, you know, we practice early. So I was like, all right, well, I'm up already. I may as well go to class. Um, and so just like it actually really having that balance made my college um, years just so much better, so much more productive. And you you, you went to the University of Pennsylvania and uh, I think I, I saw someone describe it as, as one of the social Ivies. Um, <laughs> so was it then difficult not to go party drinking and doing all of that? Or again, did that just because of the early starts because of the busy schedule, it was something which didn't even really come a- across your way? Well, you know, we're in college, so we have to enjoy <laughs> our time there. So um, we did, we did party a bit, but it was much more in moderation and, and also partying with the team and the men's team. It just was more like a, like practice part two. Mm. When did you make the decision that I know Scott had said to you, you could be in the Olympics one day. And when did you make that decision that actually I'm not going to do something with criminology right now. I'm going to work towards the Olympics. Um, you know, actually, as I kind of kept going with the rowing and each summer I would, um, row at like different like higher and higher levels I kind of saw that this really was a possibility so almost by the time like I graduated I knew that I wanted to be with the team and I knew that that was something that I was capable of and that I could do and that I wanted to do Mm. and then well so that was in uh, Pennsylvania where where did you go from there is that where you trained what what happened next yeah, actually, so the U.S. training team is not too far from Philadelphia. It's about an hour north in Princeton, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So in terms of that transition, it wasn't too big. And so, you know, if I had to fall back on, like, going back to Philadelphia, it was going to be fine. Um, but, yeah, so at that point, it was 2004, end of 2004. They just finished the Athens Olympics. The women came away with a silver medal. So, all of those Olympians were just like gone on like a hiatus. So this, there was this whole new crop of athletes. So that also made it very fun of like all of us fresh out of college, you know, 
and on this like journey, like, okay, they just won silver. Let's go for gold. Mm. And it's interesting because uh, I've spoken to uh, one of your, your fellow uh, champions, Caroline Lind, and I think I've spoken to uh, a few of the, uh, the successful women's water polo team. And mm. I guess what's an interesting dynamic about your sport and being in a, in a boat of eight is that you're a team, but you're all also fighting for that one place. How, just how competitive was it in that era when you're, you're entering kind of the, the national team setup? You've got these people with one silver, you've got this whole new crop. It must have yeah. been really fierce. Yeah, you know, in the first couple of years, it's not the first couple of years after the Olympics, um, it's not as intense, but then once it starts ramping up, it's like a whole new level. But you know, of course you're fighting against your teammates because you want that spot in the boat. But at the same time, the camaraderie is just amazing because you know, you know that you can't do it alone. You need that other person. And, and when you get to the starting line, you know how hard every person in that boat worked. You saw them, you know, struggling next to you every day. So, you know, it also takes that element of trust to kind of like a whole different level when we're like at that starting line and you know that everyone was there, everyone was putting in the work and now, you know, it's just go time. Mm. Who are you closest to? Um, I would say I'm actually closest to the, my 2012 uh, teammate, Esther Lofgren. She ended up not making the 2008 boat. Um, and she and I have, I don't know, I guess she and I have been the, the closest. But honestly, you know, it's we do like reunions. We actually just had one at the World Championships in Florida. And it's so great to see everyone. And it's, you know, we get together. It's just like old times, you know. We we share the, all the fun stories. And it was, yeah, it's it's fun staying in touch with everyone. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. We'll have more from Susan in just a moment, but before we get back to the conversation, I want to tell you about the Facebook group that we've got going on. It's called Best in the World. I've got a link to it on the show notes page. And if you join in the conversation there, you can learn even more about sports and high performance. And you can ask your own questions, bring up your own discussion points. It's a really good place for us all to engage for all of the like-minded souls who want to get better every single day ideally from learning from the very best like we do here every single week on the best in the world with richard parr podcast all right that is the facebook group page best in the world let's return to the conversation with susan francia the best in the world podcast with richard parr why did you initially do the the eight person vote um, honestly, I, one of the things is it's the fastest boat. So that's really fun when you get that boat up to speed with the seven other women who are powering and you got that coxswain at the front, like yelling all these like inspirational commands. I mean, it is the most amazing feeling. So that's one. And then of course, the other element is the eight in the U S has just has had a, a history of success. And so, you know, I, I thought that that was also my best shot at winning a gold medal. Mm, 
that, that prestige as well. Um, what were some of those inspirational commands? Were there any in particular that really got you fired up? Yeah, you know, so in 2008, the last time the women had won was uh, in 1984 in the U.S. at Lake Casitas. So I remember like our coxswain, she called something for like, all right, you know, we want to be legends like the women of 84. And it was just like cool to remember these, you know, women who kind of paved the way for us in the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was fun. And then also, you know, the coxswain will call out like certain commands for us. And and it's it's cool to think one of the – oh, another fun um, command she has or like she'll tell us when we're up, she'll be like, all right, like we're on top of the world. We're the best in the world right now. Our bow ball is ahead. And so that's always like cool to know like, hey, you know, we're all right. We're ahead. This is good. Yeah, nice to be referred to as the, the best in the world. Uh, right. Why I'm here with you. Exactly. Exactly. The, the best in the world podcast. Um, <laughs> what was your pre-race routine like, Susan? And and how early would it begin? Would it almost begin the night before or the week before? Or is it just something you'd go through on the day? Um. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things that we really learn is just practicing just all the things that we go through. So, you know, the night before a race, we make sure like, you know, very obvious stuff. We eat well, we get our full nights of like eight hours sleep. And then the day of, I always eat just a little bit like lighter, which was kind of tough in Beijing because our final was at like 5 p.m. Because they wanted it to like have like the best airtime in the U.S. So it's like really late. So you have to eat like normal meals but you're also kind of feeling a little bit of the excitement and nervousness. So, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, a a tough, a tough one to, to balance, but, um, oatmeal is a great, great food that I always have. And I always have a little energy shot, but other than that, I always like knowing that worst case scenario, I have my uniform and myself and I'm ready to go. Mm. I've I've been doing a, a few interviews this week and uh you know we've done over 100 now and oatmeal comes up a lot. I think we need an oatmeal sponsor for this show. <laughs> oh, seriously. <laughs> and nearly every one of you champions eats oatmeal and I, I'm I'm doing the gluten-free porridge these days as well inspired by all of you. Nice. <laughs> um, you know actually we have a saying in fact we have a saying and i'm gonna credit this to my teammate karen davies she always said oats move boats wow i like it oats move boats a- a- any other sayings that, that you guys used to have <laughs> i can't share those no i'm just kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding no that was that was a good one though yeah that is a good one um so give us an idea during that time of, of what a typical training day would look like, Susan. Um, yeah, so it's usually two or three practices a day, um, usually three. Uh, two of them would involve rowing and somewhere between uh, 16 to 20 kilometers per session. And then, of course, we always like mix up the intensity. So sometimes it's a little bit shorter in terms of um, length or distance or uh, but it's a little bit higher intensity, higher heart rate. And then sometimes we just do like long 20 kilometer sessions on the water and just 
steady, very steady, lower heart rate. Um, and then we also like lift about three times a week. And usually the, the lifting kind of varies with, um, kind of how we are in the season. So kind of in the middle of the season, we'll do like heavy lifting, low reps, and then closer to the racing season, we'll do just a, like a little bit of maintenance weights and just making sure some injury prevention stuff. And then uh, sometimes we do some cross training, biking and running, but most of the time we're on either on the water rowing in small boats or big boats or on the rowing machine. Mm. The I spoke to the the British row, uh, Matt Langridge, and mm-hmm. he he said to me there was one day a week um, on the rowing machine which he used to absolutely dread, and I think he used to I think he told me he was sick after it every single week. Um, was there? What was the workout? Did you, I, do you know? I, I, I can't remember. He did tell me on the podcast. Uh, was was there one workout? Was there one training day that you used to dread at all? Um, two by six kilometers, two by six k on the rowing machine was probably my least favorite. It's a uh, pretty intense, and it really really makes you question yourself. <laughs> You're like, who am I? Why am I doing this? What's wrong with me? Um, but you know. I have to tell you, you know, when you get through those workouts and it's the same for everyone, when you get through like a tough workout that you dreaded or you weren't sure you were going to quite make it, you get through and you're like, you know what? That's cool. I did that. You know, I I accomplished that. So, so it's good to really question yourself, I guess. Mm. And I I know you've been, been coaching the the last few years as well. What have you learned coaching that you wish you'd have known when you were competing? Um, actually I've learned so much from coaching, um, mostly just patience. And it's so interesting when I was an athlete, I think I would take things more personally than I needed to. I would like try to overanalyze everything and interpret like, Oh, well, why am I in this lineup or why am I here or there? And literally sometimes it was just like, Oh, you know, in terms of the numbers, we needed you here or there. And you know, I, I would kind of overanalyze where really it didn't really mean anything. So I think that's one big thing. And then just also patience, just knowing that, you know, you're putting in the work as an athlete and it'll pay off. Whereas, you know, when you're uh, watching as a coach, you know, it's it's very easy to watch that patience or watch, you know, your, the athletes moving along. But when you're an athlete, you're just like, oh, why isn't it happening, you know? There are a lot of lot of lessons there. It is funny how we can take something so personally when they're, they're not personal at all. It's just the way exactly. it is. Yeah, it's it's just human nature, isn't it? Um, two thousand nine, you decided to go in a boat of two of you. What was that like? Oh my gosh, that was that was very fun. So my pair partner Aaron Kafaro. So like I said, I'm six two. Paravarner Erin Kafaro, she's 5'9". She's my little mini-me. <laughs> but man, that girl is feisty. And um, actually, I started out in the pair with Caroline. And then throughout that summer, we did a lot of like switching around. And so I ended up with Erin. Uh, actually, and both, both girls were also in the Beijing 8. And we ended up just like really clicking 
and we, we pushed each other in training a lot. Um, and we ended up winning. It was pretty amazing actually. Mm, 2009 <laughs> world championships. And, uh, of course, you then went on to successfully defend your Olympic title in 2012, mm-hmm. re- returning to uh, an eight-person boat. And you mentioned earlier about some of the injuries you, you struggled with. What were those injuries and, and just quite how serious were they to you? Yeah, so actually in 2011, pretty much one year before the Games, I ended up herniating my disc oh. in my lower back. Yeah, so L4, L5. And it was very tough because it wasn't just like, oh, I'm injured for my sport. It was like affecting my life. Like I couldn't, I couldn't even like lift a heavy plate or something off of a table. Um, And so it was really, really rough. And I was worried that it would be something that's like a lifelong injury. Mm. Um, But with a lot of, lot of uh, physical therapy and, I got two cortisone shots. I didn't want to get surgery, but um, I pretty much just kind of worked through it. And so by December or uh, January of 2012, it was it was a bit better. My lower back was not great, but better. But what I wasn't used to now was the the lack of flexion in my lower back. So then I just kept breaking my ribs. Oh. So it was just like double whammy. I know. So it was um it was kind of a it was a really tough tough year for me actually and then I was actually the last person to make the boat there in 2012. Um and I have to tell you it was just I knew I could do it. You know, I really believed in myself and that's probably the only thing that got me <laughs> healthier and got me um, able to, to train and, and compete to get on the team, but it was such a relief once I made it and such a relief once we won that gold. Mm. How much did that uh, affect your training? Did you have to adjust it slightly? And, and in some ways, because of that problem, did it alter how you could train with the rest of your team at all? Yeah. So that's a really good point. You know, you, we're in a team sport, so you can't really, you know, ask everyone, hey, actually, can we take a break here? <laughs> I need to stretch, you know. Um, luckily, by the time the spring came around, uh, in terms of injury, I was much, much better. And, I mean, I was at physical therapy all the damn time. I, <laughs> the poor man, Mark Novak, who's our uh, physical therapist there, <laughs> He knows everything about my life. And I mean, the big guy was just, he was seeing me like every day treating me. So with that, I mean, I was, I was healthy by the time the Olympics rolled around. Was there ever any doubt in your mind about your health when you were competing in London? No, 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 there wasn't. Oh, fantastic. And it, it all turned out good in the end. Yeah, it did. And, and honestly, gosh, I, I can't even imagine having that kind of, you know, doubt. But you know, what's crazy is like the adrenaline, the adrenaline masks any kind of injury during racing anyway. Like you have to have something really, really severe happen for you to, to stop. Like, because actually even a couple times with the broken rib, I competed. And once I was like in that 2k, like racing mode, 
I was good. I was so focused on racing that like nothing hurt. <laughs> and then once I crossed the finish line, then I was like, oh dear, oh God, this is not good. <laughs> but up up until those those two thousand meters, it was it'd be fine. Fantastic. And when when did you decide to stop away from from competing? When did you decide to to retire? Uh, I retired in 2014, right after the World Championships uh, that were held in Amsterdam. Uh, at that point, it just my body was really done. Mm. You know, I was still kind of riding the high of like, oh yeah, you know, London Olympics. That was so fun, and totally forgetting like, oh, that injury that like <laughs> nearly was crippling. Um, and then it kind of kept nagging me in 2013, and then nagging me even more in 2014. And by that time, I wasn't even making it through training sessions. So, you know, and and it's tough for, of course, for me as an athlete, but it also was tough for the coach because. You know, he knew what I was capable of and I just, you know, wasn't there. And so he didn't know what to do with me, really. Did you have in your mind what you would do next? Yes, actually, I was always interested in going to business school. And I had applied to like Cambridge, actually. I was very interested in Cambridge and Oxford. Um, But then I ultimately decided to attend UCLA. Mm. And... uh... Just uh, bring us up to date what, what you've been up to since 2014, studying there. And uh, mm-hmm. we mentioned the coaching. What else have you been up to in those last few years? Yeah, actually, I'm also working. So San Diego is big biotech uh, town. So I actually work in consulting here. Uh, oh, so that's yeah. that's my like full time uh, gig. But I really I love coaching. I love staying in touch with the sport. I love working with the athletes. Um, so right now I'm at UCSD, so University of California, San Diego, and the athletes there are just, they, they definitely keep me on my toes. They're a fun bunch. Um, and then of course going to school part-time in uh, Los Angeles also, that kills my social life. That's <laughs> <laughs> very, very busy. Um, you mentioned uh, with San Diego and and the coaching there, and one of the things I, I read about you is that you helped lead a, a fundraising effort to collect thirty thousand um, dollars mm-hmm. to to help with one of the youth programs. Um, how difficult was it throughout your career to to get funding and, and sponsorship? Um, in the beginning, I had the most wonderful sponsors called Mom and Dad. <laughs> Thank you, mom and dad. Um, and, uh, you know, rowing is not a big media sport here. And so it's it's a little bit tough. But, um, you know, I think some of the USOC, uh, US Olympic Committee uh, sponsors have done a really great job of, of incorporating Olympic athletes into their products um, and, you know, getting some athlete sponsorships, but especially like getting all athletes, you know, the products that, that they, you know, sell. Um, so that's actually been pretty good. And, and I honestly feel very lucky. I kind of started to reach out to companies and, you know, people were responsive. Companies were responsive, um, in terms of working with me. Um, and you know, I started doing some motivational speaking, so that helped. I did a little fitness modeling here and there. So that was fun. You know, honestly, 
you know, you ask any of those athletes, no one's in it for the money. Like they're, they're there grinding away because everyone wants to be the best in the world. Mm. You know, that's really, you could go to a finance job and make a lot of money, but yeah, this yeah. is, this is different. Um, but if you were to give some advice to a, a young rower or, or a young aspiring Olympic champion who, who needs some of that money, is, is there any tips you'd give them? Um, just start reaching out to companies. Honestly, you know, you will never know until you ask. Um, and that was one of the things that I did. I, any product that I was using, I'd reach out. I'd say, hey, like, do you, here I am. Look at me. Uh, do you want a spokesperson? And then even if they would say no, they'd be like, hey, here, we're sending you five of these whatever sunglasses or shorts or shirts or whatever. So, you know, just just reach out to companies that you really like and you really, you know, believe in and, you know, you'd be surprised. And from, from my research as well, like what, what I've read from your, your coaching is that you've developed and executed training plans for elite level rowers to assist in scouting and recruitment. Of, of other good prospects, other good rowers. What are some of the key characteristics you look for when, when you're looking for that that next potential champion? Toughness. Really, it's just toughness. Like, uh, it's so interesting now being on the other side of this and being the coaching side and just seeing how athletes respond, you know, and, and sometimes I'm really hard on them. And if they just give up and quit. And I'm like, okay, you know, and there's, there's almost not even that much you can say, okay, you can try and inspire them or like bring some positivity. But if it's so much of it, I think is intrinsic and that toughness that I see even sometimes from like ninth and 10th graders, you know, like young kids who are just like, okay, you're hard on me. Good. I'm going to show you that I'm even better and, and attack it even more. So I think that's the toughness for me is the one thing. It doesn't even matter body, height, size, athlete, you know, athleticness. None of that stuff is is as important as, you know, what's what's their mentality. Mm, fantastic. So, coaching, consulting, motivational speaking, studying, <laughs> Uh, I hope you do some sleeping in there as well. But what do you do when you actually relax? I'll sleep when I'm dead. <laughs> what What do you do when you do get a little bit of time to relax then, Susan? My relaxation is running. That is where that's me time. I don't bring my phone. I go out. I just run as long as it feels good. And then I turn around, come home or walk a little bit but honestly I really have started to enjoy running I do love to get out on the water as well um, but I don't have all my teammates so it's a little more quiet and a little less fun um, but I've, I really enjoy working out when I have the, the time oh, fantastic well it's been really enjoyable speaking to you and learning from you today Susan if we want to continue to follow your very busy journey um <laughs> How can we do that online? Where, where's the best place to, to follow you? You know, you can follow me on Instagram. Just type in my name, Susan Francia. You'll find me. Um, yeah, Instagram's a good one. Twitter, I'm also on Twitter. But yeah, no, it's 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 so great to just be able to like reach out to people and, and really feel the 
the excitement from the Olympics and, and how that kind of translates to lives. Well, you are definitely inspiring. Thank you so much for being on this program and thank you for being the best in the world. Thank you. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Superb chat there with Susan. We've spoken to quite a few rows on this podcast before. Maybe go back and listen to my conversation with Caroline Lind, who was a former teammate of Susan's. I've also spoken to the British rower, Heather Stanning. Mahe Drysdale from New Zealand has been on the podcast, and they're all available for you on Stitcher, on Apple Podcasts, on Acast at acast.com forward slash best and of course at Sportachino. That is the home for everything related to sports and high performance. That's sportachino.com. I've got an amazing guest for you next week, so you do not want to miss it. And to make sure that you don't, please press subscribe on whatever podcasting application you use to listen to this podcast, because I do not want you to miss it. It will be out next Thursday. That's when you'll hear from me again. Until then, have a great week. Goodbye. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 